You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You know what cheers me up? What? Rolled up aces over kings. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. The House of Cards. Today, the game is different. With author and professional poker player Ashley Adams. Okay, you have some skill. Hello, listeners. Welcome to House of Cards. I'm Ashley Adams, your host of the show. We have a a very interesting show, a great show. That's the product of uh, a trip that I had been planning for a long time. And in the process of planning my trip, which was to India, I just got back, I got the name of a guy from India who uh, helped me plan everything out by giving me contacts in the part of India where I was going, Goa. His name is Bharat Agarwala. He's going to talk about the Indian poker scene. And he's the director of the Indian poker tour, and we'll talk about that. So I'm very excited about him. And then we have a true poker celebrity. We have a main event finisher, Sam Holden, the sole United Kingdom representative, and also a guy that's uh, been participating in Tony Holden's poker extravaganza, duplicate poker extravaganza at the London Eye. His name is Sam Holden, no relation to Tony Holden, but we're going to be talking to him as well about the World Series of Poker and about duplicate poker. So please stay tuned. We'll have a great mailbag segment, too, and uh, we look forward to chatting with you. Take care. We'll be right back. Great moments in history. In 481 BC, the defeat of the Spartans at the Battle of Thermopylae. As long as Xerxes doesn't find the secret path to the hot gates. What is it, boy? Xerxes has found the secret door path to the hot gates. Ah, shit! In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Call us at 609-474-HOCR and leave a message for Ashley and the rest of the House of Cards crew. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. Call the hotline or send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com and don't forget to visit our website at houseofcardsradio.com and follow the show on Twitter and Facebook. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you can send to having your message played on the air. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Well, why don't you get back there and play some cards? Are we going to play poker? Can, when, I, when, I have a, when I have a big decision. I would love to watch you play cards. I would love to actually play the game. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams. You're listening to House of Cards. We are joined by a very special guest who is very far away from our studios. We're talking to the director and CEO of the India Poker Series, which is a poker tournament series in India. His name is Bharat Agarwala, and he joins us from his home in India. Bharat, welcome to the show. Hi, Ashley. Um, tell us just a little bit about you so our listeners know how it is you came to be the director and CEO of the India Poker Series. 
Well, it all began about 20 years back. That's when I learned how to play poker by a friend of, from a friend of mine who had just returned from the United States after doing his graduation. And uh, I found a vacuum in India for about 17 years after that. There were no, there was very few people who used to play poker in India. And uh, India being a large country, it was difficult for people to, you know, get together under one roof and then try to play a home game. And there were no casinos in India at that time. So where were and, you living 20 years ago when you learned and what kind of poker did you play 20 years ago? Uh, basically, uh, I've always lived in Calcutta, which is uh, in the eastern part of uh, India. And we used to play the five-card stud and the Omaha high-low at that time. Huh, interesting. We, we, we never played the, the Texas Hold'em, which is the most popular form uh, of poker in current times. I see. Where did the people you played with learn how to play poker if poker was not a regular game? You learned from somebody from the United States. Where did they learn? Uh, they were also students who had just come back from the States, uh, and they had played in their colleges over there or their universities. Very interesting. So then tell me about how poker took off in India and what part you have played in its, uh, in its boom years, the last three years. Uh, around about three years back, we saw that uh, Facebook made the youngsters learn poker because of the Facebook poker, as we call it. And just about at that time, uh, the casinos in uh, Goa, which had just started about two years before that, introduced you know a couple of these poker tables over there, which used to be mostly empty uh, in those times. And uh, then after that, as the students uh, learned poker, they made, uh, while playing Facebook poker, they, they started playing amongst themselves at, you know, in the home games at the lowest of uh, low stakes. And that's when I thought that, you know, these people all across the country have, uh, will experience the same problem as I did, that uh, I never got to play the home games or, or anywhere uh, because uh, there were not too many people playing. So that's when I conceptualized the idea of the India Poker Series about three years back that uh, with, the, with the idea that I will try to get everybody under one roof, one umbrella. And uh, that's how it all began. I see. So, I, so what is the India Poker Series and how is it uh, different from any other kind of poker tournament? Uh, India Poker Series is basically a tournament series wherein we try to keep in the buy-ins uh, low so that, uh, you know, more people can participate, especially the youngsters. We want to encourage the students uh, to come participate, get a first-time experience of live poker in a, in a tournament series uh, which is held, you know, at the best casino of India, that is Casino Royale. And uh, basically, uh, that is how, you know, the entire uh, idea, the seed came about three years back. By the time I could, uh, you know, get it live, it was in April 2010 only. I see. How many, how many specific tournaments are covered within your series? How many are there throughout the year? Uh, we are having a tournament every alternate month, and uh, each chapter has four tournaments. So we are holding uh, 24 tournaments, uh, if you see 2011, and the next year we are trying to take it up and make it 32. That means eight tournaments, eight, eight chapters in a year, and each chapter having four tournaments. I see. Do they all feed towards one grand tournament at the end, or do they each function separately? Uh, they Each one functions uh, separately. Although in 2011, we had a concept in which we were trying to feed in uh, the main event of the year with the help of the uh, smaller tournaments which we were having uh, across the year. I see. So in the United States, we have a skewed view, I found, of the typical Indian 
family. In the United States, at least in the areas that I've grown up, we think that everybody, with the maybe one or two exceptions, everybody in India is impoverished. They basically have no money at all. Everybody's poor. Uh, now, I guess maybe we feel there are some people that have low-paying jobs because when you call Microsoft or a lot of companies, you get connected to somebody we imagine makes a dollar or two dollars a day in India. These are all incorrect stereotypes. So, even even a small buy-in tournament, somebody has to have some money. So, correct our stereotype about the typical Indian so that we don't walk around thinking everybody is impoverished. Uh, the buy-ins of our tournaments are ranging from hundred dollars. Uh, to say five hundred dollars, and uh, the in fact the hundred dollar tournament is a rebuy tournament. So effectively, it works out uh, on an average to two hundred to three hundred dollars. So we don't have any tournament which is lower than uh, two hundred dollars uh, buy-in. And in fact, just next week we have a tournament which would be having a thousand dollar buy-in. So in the United States, we'd say, well, who could possibly afford such a large sum of money in, in India? Because we think everybody's living on the street in poverty. Explain how that's not the case. <laughs> uh, that is not the case uh, in the sense that, you know, the uh, pr probably the image which uh, is uh, floating around about India is slightly outdated <laughs> with the... Uh, <laughs> With, uh, you know, the new age technologies coming in, a uh, lot of uh, jobs have been generated. Uh, these uh, tech companies have generated a lot of jobs. And uh, there are people who can definitely afford, uh, you know, the buy-ins of the range which we are uh, offering them. That is between $100, $200 going all the way up to $1,000. And, uh, no, I don't uh, feel that you know there are dearth of uh, there is a dearth of people uh, who can afford these kind of buy-ins i think uh, i think that's certainly true from what i saw i just got back as you know from uh, visiting goa where my daughter yeah. was uh, and i mm -hmm. got to play at the casino royale and uh, met many many players who had plenty of money i mean they were the players i met were pretty bad and they would buy in for two or four or six hundred dollars and lose it very quickly to the other players who were good. But that's just mm -hmm. like here. I mean, you have bad players and good players. All right. I'm going to have to cut you off here for a commercial break, but we want to come back and continue this discussion. So hold on and we'll be right back. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards hotline. Available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you consent to having your message played on the air. Great moments in history. In 1591, Sir Walter Raleigh was imprisoned in the Tower of London for insulting Queen Elizabeth I. I too can command the wind, sir! I have a hurricane in me that will strip Spain bare if you dare to try me! Well, I'd love to stay in chat, but you're a total bitch. In June 2008, House of Cards began podcasting. Go to HouseOfCardsRadio.com and click on the podcast button for all recent show downloads. Poker players, listen up. Your right to play poker continues to come under attack. But with over 1 million members, the Poker Players Alliance is dedicated to protecting your right to play this great American pastime. Even if you've never played a hand of online poker, the Poker Players Alliance is fighting for you. No matter where you choose to play, the PPA is working hard to defend you, your rights, and the game of poker. The PPA is making great strides, but we still need your help. We have sent a clear message to lawmakers and others committed to prohibiting your right to play poker. We are organized and we vote. Add your voice to our cause and join the Poker Players Alliance today. Visit www.joinppa.org 
and become part of the fight to save poker. It only takes a few minutes to make a difference. The Poker Players Alliance, fighting to protect your freedom to play the game we love. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. All right, this is my show, and it's a serious intellectual hour of discussion, and I want to keep it that way. All right, in three, two, one. Magic hour. Welcome back, listeners. We are continuing a conversation with Bharat Agarwala. I I wanted to ask you a couple of questions about poker outside of the Casino Royale. Casino Royale is very nice, a big boat in the middle of the harbor. Um, Mm -hmm. But but if I were to visit, let's say I went to Delhi or I went to Mumbai or your city of Calcutta, um, Uh would I be able to find a game or is it so illegal that you can't even find a game if you visited those cities? Uh, as far as the legal structure goes, true. You're not allowed to, you're not permitted legally to play uh, in a, any other venue other than a licensed casino. But there are house games going around in every city, including Calcutta, Delhi, Bombay, and even uh, the smaller cities. And it's even catching up in the larger towns. And in fact, uh, some of these uh, cities and towns have uh, raked games going on, which is actually the illegal part of it. The home games are fine. If you're playing in somebody's house, it's quite fine. I see. So So, if I came to your town, if I came to your city, to Calcutta, Mm -hmm. Let's say I'm an American businessman or I'm even a student traveling around the world and I'm spending a week or two in India. What would I Mm -hmm. do to find some poker? Uh, The best way to find some poker is uh, to first get connected to somebody who is in the regular circuit of that city and then ask him to put you on to one of the home games or the raked games. The other option would be try to would be to try to locate uh, a home game or a rigged game through Facebook because social networking ah, is yes, uh, yes. which is the best way to locate a game. What a good idea! Okay, is it possible that in the next year or two there will be other places other than Goa and I guess Sikkim up in the northeast part of the country near Bhutan? also has the beginning of legal poker casinos. Is it possible that other areas will legalize casinos or at least poker uh, in the next year or two? I am optimistic that uh, in the future, uh, other states would permit. India is basically divided into a lot of states, and each state has its own uh, gambling law. So I am optimistic that in the near future, uh, and medium term, we should gradually see more states opening up uh, to the idea of casinos because it's going to generate tourism, it's going to generate jobs. So I see no reason why uh, the states would not open up uh, to more casinos. But there's nothing on the drawing board right now that's about to become legal in Delhi or Mumbai or Calcutta or any place else that you know of, is there? Uh, we keep hearing these stories once in a while, but nothing emerges. So re- we really don't get to know whether you know anything is actually emerging or not, unless somebody is in the center of everything and he is able to pass on some information. I see. But I just see. speculative uh, news comes in. <laughs> well, it's true here too. We just, after many years, we just legalized casinos in Massachusetts. But uh, I don't know when I'll see my first legal poker game here because it takes a while for casinos to be uh, to be built and for licenses to be granted. We have a couple of minutes more. I, I wanted to just quickly ask you about uh, people who play on the Internet. Is Internet poker, like at PokerStars or any of the other sites, is it popular there or not? People uh, definitely, I keep hearing, are playing on PokerStars uh, they, they play uh, the cash games on uh, the ring games on PokerStars, 
and also the tournaments they are multi tabling uh, i think they are also playing on couple of more sites like triple eight and yeah there are a couple of more sites which people are playing but i am uh, basically a live uh, game player and i have basically almost never played uh, online okay i i understand i was the same way unfortunately i have some money that's still trapped on one of those sites that closed and took my money but uh, that was one of the reasons i didn't want to play too much on the internet mm-hmm. um are you planning any trips uh, to the United States to play poker or to do anything else, or do you think you'll be staying in India for the near future? Uh, I do wish to have a experience of the WSOP, which probably I will try to have in the forthcoming year, just to get an idea of you know how uh, international tournaments are held. I've been to Macau to see them. Uh, we had the APT very recently. Uh, that was the first international tournament to be held in India, that to win Casino Royal Goa. And uh, I want to have my experience at the WSOP. And then, uh, yeah, gradually I do want to move further and forward from India into, you know, first at the Asia level. And then, uh, God willing, probably even uh, at the global level. Well, I got to tell you, if you come to the United States, you were so helpful for me to make my connections to Phil and to Craig at the Casino Royale, and they showed me a very, very nice time. I enjoyed my stay very much and uh, visiting the room. Please let me know when you're coming to Las Vegas for the World Series of Poker, and uh, I would like to fly out there and meet you and introduce you to the people I know in the tournament world out here. Because um, I think they would really enjoy meeting with you, Bharat. Definitely, right. I would. I'm thanking you in advance for that. <laughs> okay. Well, we we only have a few seconds left. But is there a website that people can go to if they wanted to check out more about the India Poker Series that you're the director and CEO of? Yeah, the website is indiapokerseries.com. Indiapokerseries.com. Well, we'll put it on our website. And for if there may be a few listeners uh, on the internet of House of Cards Radio, and any who come there that are interested in poker in India, they will be able to visit your website. So thank mm-hmm. you for joining thank us, Bharat. I appreciate your time on the show. Thank you, Ashley. Okay, take care. Hey, Jersey, we want to hear from you. Send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com or leave a message at our hotline at 609-474-4627. Hi, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, professional poker player, author, and host of House of Cards. You can all, wherever you're listening to our show, we're now blanketing the United States. You can send in your questions or comments about the show to info at houseofcardsradio.com. And you can also get our tweets on Twitter at www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. Info at houseofcardsradio.com and www.twitter.com slash H-O-C radio. Hey, you serious about poker? Then winning 7-Card Stud by Ashley Adams is a must-have for stud players of all levels. In winning 7-Card Stud, the World Series of Poker Veteran takes you through a series of lessons and strategies designed to make you a better player in all phases of your game. The techniques of betting, what cards to play, how to read the other players, the art of bluffing, you'll learn to master them all. Winning 7-Card Stud by professional poker player Ashley Adams. Available at Amazon.com. Hey, this is Dave Weishattle from House of Cards with your House of Cards gaming report for the week of January 2nd, 2012. Well, it looks like New Jersey Governor Chris Christie is keeping his promise to revitalize the casino industry in Atlantic City. Last week, the New Jersey Department of Labor announced that it will be awarding a $2.6 million grant to the Revel Casino, which is currently under construction. The grant will be used to help train new workers and is being described as the largest customized training grant given by the Christie administration. The U.S. Department of Justice seems to be changing its attitude toward the Wire Act. 
In a legal opinion, the DOJ said that the individual states had the authority to license and regulate non-sports-related intrastate online gambling. This is almost a complete reversal to its earlier opinions that online gambling is prohibited. Proponents of online poker feel that this is a big step toward legalizing intrastate online poker. And finally, here's a nice story for the holiday season. Mitch Gilbert from Colorado found two unmarked Caesars Palace envelopes containing $10,000 at a Las Vegas airport. So what do you think he did? He actually returned the money. Gilbert called the airport and eventually got in touch with a Texas man who reported the money missing and promptly returned the cash. When Gilbert was asked why he did it, he said he wanted to show his children it was the right thing to do. Have any news or tips regarding casinos, gambling, or legislation? Send us an email at newsroom at houseofcardsradio.com and follow House of Cards on Twitter at HOC Radio. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you can send to having your message played on the air. This is House of Cards Radio with Ashley Adams. He's not going to just sit around and wait to flop the nuts. Welcome back, listeners. This is Ashley Adams, and as promised, we are fortunate enough to have one of the main event final table players, Sam Holden, not to be confused with the writer Tony Holden that we had on a couple of weeks ago. Sam is his own man, 22 years old, the sole Brit at the final table, and also somebody who has participated in the Nations Cup, which was an international duplicate poker event organized by Tony Holden. Sam, are you there? I am. Hi, guys. Hi. Well, welcome to the show. Why don't you give our listeners who may or may not be completely familiar with your background just an, a brief introduction to Sam Holden, how you came to poker, and uh, who you are. Sure, yeah. Um, well, I'm, I'm 22 years old. I'm from the U.K., um, I started playing poker mainly at, um, at university and sort of built my way up through the stakes there. And then when I finished my degree, I um, decided to turn professional, you know, just to give it a go. Really, I wasn't really at a, uh, a high level at that point. You know, I felt like I had, I had a big enough bankroll and, you know, enough ability to, to give it a shot, really. So that was in June 2010, and I was playing professionally. Um, for a year up until, you know, when I went to the World Series um, this year. And, um, yeah, that, that year had gone really well, and I was able to, to take a shot in the main event and, and played some preliminary events at the World Series as well. And I was lucky enough to make the final table of, of the main event, um, which was, you know, very fortunate and um, very exciting. And then, you know... Um, the structure of the tournament is is so that you know you go back in November to play the final table. Um, so that was just a few weeks ago, and I guess you know since since the World Series, I've been playing um, you know a few bigger tournaments, and uh, um, you know I guess I, I'm more of an established pro. Yeah, I'm still still very new to it all, though. You sound remarkably, almost unnaturally mature for a 22 year old. Has anyone ever told you that? <laughs> Uh, yeah, I like to think I'm pretty mature, although, I don't know, I was definitely mature as a, as a kid, you know, when I was like 17, 16, but I don't know if I've got any more mature since then. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I try and be pretty sensible. <laughs> did I you guess. drop out of college to go professional or did you finish your studies and graduate? No, I finished my studies first. As I said, I wasn't really, um, you know, I wasn't. I wasn't um, at an elite level or anything um, at that point. Um, my, my bankroll was still pretty modest. I was, you know, a, a profitable player and doing okay, but I never really um, let it get in the way of my university. I just sort of did it on the side, and, and then, you know, I was able to, to graduate, because, graduate because of that, I guess. I think it's very difficult for the guys that, are, you know, come to poker really successfully initially and start, start earning six figures a year straight away. And then they're the, 
the guys that tend to drop out, I think I wasn't doing that well. So, you know, it was easy for me to focus on my studies. And I knew that once I finished uni, I could I could take Pokemon more seriously. Was there a defining moment for you, Sam, when you thought, geez, I really have the chops to be a pro? Was there something that happened or was it just a very gradual thing? Yeah, it was definitely a gradual thing. I think for me, it was always, you know, a desire. It always seemed attractive to me um, to play professionally. I liked the the freedom that it that it gave you. You know, the working for yourself and and you know being able to set your own schedule definitely appealed to me. So, I guess it was a bit of a goal. It was always something that I was, you know, decent at, and I found really interesting. So, it, I guess it was just a natural progression from enjoying it and and it being a desire of mine. Um, to be able to play professionally, that I just worked at it from there. Did you primarily play online or did you play live for the most part before you uh, did the World Series of Poker? I was pretty much only playing online. You know, that was how I made my living. Um, I I traveled to a few tournaments uh, in 2010, um, smaller events around the UK and Ireland. Um, And then... At uh, the beginning of 2011 as well, and then the World Series was my first. You know, it was my first $10,000 buy-in, so it was my first big, big tournament. Um, and uh, you know, I've been playing a lot more live since then. So, so now, now I do do both for sure. But, but before this, I was mainly playing online. Were you one of the folks that were picked up by any of the online sites to sponsor you? What's been your history with that? Yeah, yeah, I was very lucky to, um, you know, sign a deal with 888 Poker. Uh, so I'm working working with them now, um, which is really exciting. Obviously, having, as I said, you know, I've always wanted to play professionally, um, to play poker professionally. So now, to effectively being paid to play is, is even better. Um, so yeah. How does that work? Not ever having been sponsored by an online site or anybody else, except maybe my wife. How does it work to be sponsored by 888? Do they give you a, you on salary? Do they just enter you in every tournament you want to enter? Tell us how it works. Well, it depends on the nature of the deal, obviously. There are different types of deal. Mine combines a few buy-ins with a monthly retainer. Um, so uh, it's a bit of both. But, yeah, it, it really is it's different for each case. Well, that's not a bad gig. Um, yeah, exactly. <laughs> especially for a 22-year-old, I just think that's wonderful. No wonder you've wanted to continue to uh, play as a professional poker player. Well, but just out of curiosity, if you hadn't become a professional poker player, what mm. would you have become? Or well, what might you in... become? I mean, I guess the future still holds a possibility. Yeah, sure. Uh, well, my degree um, was in forensic science, which uh, I really enjoyed studying and found very interesting. And, and my my academic skills were always in in sort of maths and science. Um, although the career itself didn't appeal to me too much, it's incredibly competitive at the moment. There are a lot of graduates in in that that field, and the jobs themselves tend to be quite specific. So they tend to be quite repetitive. Obviously, there's a, a, a large variation. Whereas my degree really, um, you know, showed us all different parts of forensics. Uh, once you go into it in employment, it's, it tends to be a specific area. So that didn't appeal to me so much because I didn't find it as interesting when I was just focusing on one thing every every day. Um, these days, you know, I have interests in in, in finance and um, and property and things like that. You know, I don't have any real knowledge in that area, but they're the kind of things that interest me at the moment. So maybe if in the future I might go into something in, in those areas. Um, but, but yeah, I guess had I never found poker, I would have gone into a science or math type job, I think. I see. Well, let's, let's go back to the World Series. I do want to save some time to talk about the Nations Cup, but let's go back to the World Series. You finished among the top nine. You made the final table. Uh, was there a moment in the tournament where you said to yourself, geez, I could make the final table? <laughs> it's funny, actually. Like I find every poker tournament I play it, in a way, I'm always thinking, wow, that would be nice, you know, to win it. And uh, it's always, and then you sort of 
tell yourself, oh, don't think about winning it, that's stupid, it's really unlikely, which obviously is. And in the World Series, it's like, oh, it would be really nice to make the November 9, and then you remind yourself that that's very unlikely and just concentrate on playing. So I guess each day I had that thought process, but it still felt unlikely. The last few days, I was one of the short stacks, um, you know, day six, seven, and eight. So although I had a, a much better chance of getting there than I did when I started the tournament, it still was an, an unlikelihood, I guess. Um, so, you know, it was very exciting to have that chance, but I just kept reminding myself, you know, concentrate on the poker and, and if things go well, then you'll get there. But if I start thinking about it constantly, then I'll probably play bad poker and then I'm less likely to get there. So I just try to concentrate on each hand. Well, that's like what I'd expect somebody to answer. So there was no, there was no time, even when you were numbered, you were, uh, it was down to 10 players when you said, you know, I'm going to do this. Well, yeah, no, I, I could never say I was definitely going to do it because I knew that there was a significant chance. You know, obviously it was at that point, it's more likely that I would make it than I wouldn't. But I was still one of the most likely to come 10th or whatever. And, and if that happened, then so be it. I mean, I see. you know, it's still, still a fantastic result for me if I came 10th. So right. all I could do was concentrate on playing as well as I could. And if I made the right decisions and the cards fell my way, then I'd make the top nine and hopefully go further. Fair enough. Um, when you made the final table and you had the big break, did you do anything during that time to try to gain an edge? Did you hire a coach? Did you study videos of all the other players? What, if anything, did you do? Uh, I, studied, I studied the, the videos a lot, um, as I think all the players did. As far as I know, I imagine they did anyway. Um, so that was pretty interesting. Um, and, like, I obviously thought about my own game and thought about situations that could crop up. I didn't get any formal coaching, but um, obviously spent some time, um, you know, talking to my friends in poker as well. Um, and just, just really, for me, I think that I felt the most important thing was getting in the best sort of mental frame of mind that I could um, to make sure I enjoyed the experience and therefore could play as well as I could and, uh, you know, give myself the best shot, you know. I think, and I think, although I ended up coming ninth, I, uh, I played pretty much as well as I could, you know, with, with the hands and the situations that were dealt to me. So sure. I'm sure. pretty happy with the, with the preparation I made. Well, good. I, I think you did your country proud, as was at least partially shown by your selection on uh, the UK's Nations Cup. And uh, mm -hmm. let's move over to that. I, you, you just recently finished up this large, this, not large, but this important international tournament of duplicate poker. Could you tell us about the experience and, uh, and what happened? Yeah, it was, it was really interesting. Um, you know, firstly, it was a, a massive privilege to, to be selected. Um, they, you know, uh, the, the rest of the team was made up of, um, you know, Jake Cody, Sam Trickett, uh, Liv Barry, J.P. Kelly, James Aikenhead, and uh, Barney Boatman. I hope I haven't forgotten anyone. I think that's it. But um, so, you know, firstly, to be selected amongst those players was, you know, a, a massive compliment and uh, still not quite sure how I, I snuck in there, but uh, <laughs> that was a massive privilege. And, um and yeah, it was a really interesting tournament. Um, it was the first of its kind. Obviously, it was a big event. We played, you know, the first day in the London Eye in London, um, which um, hopefully most people know what it is. You know, like a big Ferris wheel type attraction. Um, and you know, they rented out several pods and had a table in each. Um, and yeah, it was, was it, it was moving very while you played, or was it stationary? Yeah, it was moving. I mean, it oh my moved. God, I had no idea. <laughs> yeah, it, it moves very slowly, though. Uh, we ended up doing three orbits, and you know, uh, so the the idea was um, there were teams of seven, but only six of you were playing at one time, so that a substitute could come in if uh, everyone ne anyone needed a bathroom break or anything. Uh, <laughs> and uh, on the on the way down, on our third third time. Um, we had a set number of hands to play, um, 72 hands, and everyone at the table was desperate to get through them, so we could get off that time. Otherwise, we'd have to go around again. But uh, <laughs> Sam, um, let me just stop you for a second. Uh, listeners, if you just tuned in, 
I'm talking to Sam Holden, who was the British contestant on the main event final nine of the World Series of Poker and also just finished playing in the Nations Cup, which was an international duplicate poker tournament organized at least in part by Tony Holden, who is uh, a guest on this show. Sam, tell us about the format of duplicate poker. What is it? For those who don't know, how does it work? Okay, so um, each team had uh, six players playing at one time, and they had one player playing on each table. So for each group, there were, you know, six tables, and there would be one player from each team on each table. And then the interesting part is that the same deck of cards was dealt on each hand, so they were completely random, but... uh, Effectively, you know, seat, if seat one on the first table got dealt aces, that would happen on the second, third, fourth, fifth, and sixth table, and so on. Each seat on each table had the same hand. The hand and was random initially, but then it was replicated exactly at all the other tables. Exactly, exactly. Okay. So, and obviously the flop, turn, and river were, were all the same um, as well. Uh, and then a player from each team would have each hand. So... There'd be, you know, a player from from the UK in seat one uh, on one table, on seat two on another table, on seat three on another table, and so forth. Um, so the idea was you'd see who could play each hand uh, the best. So you know, every you know player on on on, the, on each table would have the same hand. So you could see how the hand was played differently and and which team could play the same hand the most profitably. Fascinating. And were the results all recorded, and will this be shown on television at some point, or can you talk about what happened now and let us know you know, who won in interesting hands that occurred? Yeah, as far as I know, I can talk about it. Um, I think it was recorded for TV, but I'm not sure... I'm not sure they've secured um, a network or anything for it yet, so they haven't told us to keep it a secret. Okay. I'll talk about it. <laughs> um, basically, the format was there were two groups of six, so there were 12 teams in total, and three teams would go e- through from each group to go to a final of six. And uh, sadly, the UK got eliminated in the first round. Um, there was only uh, 36 hands played in the, the first round, um, which isn't a particularly big sample. <laughs> and then there were 72 hands played in the final. Um, it's interesting, actually, because going into it myself and I think lots of, of the players felt like, you know, it, it would be a pretty low-variance form of poker. But in actual fact, uh, there were certain situations which, in a way, made it higher variance than a normal tournament. For example... Um, there was a hand, you know, that I played where I raised ace-king and the guy in the big blind decided to re-raise me. I re-raised again and he went all in. I called with ace-king. He had king-queen. So we've got these hands in pre-flop. And uh, he ends up hitting a queen and winning the hand. And obviously, not only have I been unlucky in that hand, but I've been really unlucky because on other hand, on other tables where the same hands are dealt, it won't get all in pre-flop. So although the king-queen will always win that hand, he'll only win a few chips rather than the 100 big blind maximum, which we ended up getting in, which was, you know, the, the format was that you could only put in 100 big blinds in each, each hand. So there was still pretty high variance um, situations. Um, which I think, you know, would have leveled up out really nicely in a, in a nice, um, perhaps, perhaps as low as, you know, 200-hand sample, whereas, you know, normally in poker you'd need a much bigger, bigger sample than that. Uh, but it, in the short time we played, um, sadly there was still a little variance and we ended up getting knocked out. I'm speaking like that as if I'm making excuses, but... No, really, no, no, I no, no. So. What you're saying makes perfect sense because in duplicate poker, you could be seriously punished, especially in a very short format like this, for somebody else overplaying their hand. You would be you played it correctly. He overplayed. He got hit his queen, and you're basically crippled because you don't have enough time to recoup anything going forward. Uh, yeah, a little bit like that. And 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 the main point being that uh, on other hands, because. 
the scoring system worked that I was compared to other players playing in my seats. So where that hand wouldn't have got all in on different hands, you know, they would have lost less further, uh, a lot less chips in, in that hand. Right. But basically, you know, the the, team, the UK team, as I mentioned earlier, you know, was probably the strongest. Um, uh, sadly, we didn't get through. So uh, who, who won the fun. event? Uh, yeah, in, in in the end, Spain. Uh, sorry, sorry, Germany won. <laughs> uh, Germany won, and um, yeah, they they ended up winning the final. Wow, the World Series of Poker main event and the Nations Cup in one year. Exactly, they can't that? stop winning. <laughs> How about that? Look, we we're going to have to end this, but uh, I wanted to say, Sam, that. I have enjoyed talking to you and following your career. You're only 22 years old. I'm expecting to see great things from you, and uh, I hope you'll be able to come back on when you win the main event in uh, in a couple of years. That would be fantastic. Thank you very much, <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for joining us. That was Sam Holden, who was uh, England's representative in the Nations Cup, one of England's representatives, and also their sole representative on the final table of the main event of the World Series of Poker. Uh, listeners will be right break. Please stay tuned. It's coming this weekend, Saturday and Sunday. So get ready for the best two days of the week. Saturday and Sunday. The only two days of the weekend. Saturday and Sunday. Time for you and no one else. Saturday Sunday. 48 hours. Saturday Sunday. But don't delay because after Sunday, it's Monday. Goodbye. Don't just listen to House of Cards. Now you can be part of the show with the House of Cards hotline. Call us at 609-474-HOCR and leave a message for Ashley and the rest of the House of Cards crew. Comments about the show? Poker questions? You just want us to know about great places to play or you just got bluffed out of a pot? Your messages may even be played on the air. Give us a call at 609-474-HOCR. That's 609-474-4627. The House of Cards Hotline, available 24 hours a day. Call the hotline or send us an email at info at houseofcardsradio.com and don't forget to visit our website at houseofcardsradio.com and follow the show on Twitter and Facebook. By leaving a message with House of Cards, you can send to having your message played on the air. You're listening to House of Cards on the House of Cards Radio Network. Check us out at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. You're listening to the House of Cards. Join us online at HouseOfCardsRadio.com. In 1949, legendary gambler Nick the Greek Dandelos came to town, squared off against Johnny Moss in a running no-limit poker game that went on for four months. Crowds gathered every day to see if an out-of-towner could beat the best Vegas had. Moss was up $4 million before the Greeks did and said, Mr. Moss, I have to let you go. And that's the way it usually comes out. When you take on Vegas, Vegas wins. that new bumper uh, but i think i think that that did they get the history wrong i or? think it's in dispute because we had a guest on this yeah. show um i forget the name of the guy um who he did a book about vegas yeah, yeah that's yeah. what i read author it. <clears throat> it was like a james mcmanus cowboys full like mm-hmm. book and he disputed the whole legend of this big game he said that there's no contemporaneous reporting on this alleged 40, 45-day poker marathon with Nick the Greek and Johnny Moss. And he said that... Um, but you know what? You had another guest that said it happened. What is it? Uh, Jim Texas, McManus. Uh, no, there was a, a Texas Johnny, or what was his name, Doug? Or Johnny Hughes. Johnny Hughes, that's it. Yeah, yeah but 
you know, he was relying on other people's accounts, and uh, there's no contemporaneous record. You'd think that the local newspapers would have something in it since it was done as yeah. a PR stunt is what it's always reported as. Well, in the bumper, the guy said 1949. So that might be a good place to start if you're researching yeah, the game. Yeah, well, it, it has been researched, and well, in any event. Uh, so, uh, welcome, uh, listeners. We've just been having this lovely <laughs> conversation. I'm Ashley Adams. That's Dave Weishattle. This is House of Cards. And uh, what do we got this week? Well, I usually ask you about your trips you come back from, you know, whether it be in California or the Midwest, but mm. this is a really interesting I had trip. a little short little stop. Yeah, and uh, just to get you in the mood, we uh, have some uh, mood music. you got to lift it up, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> you're getting in the mood now. You just came back from India. India, yeah. that's right. Yes. Beautic, beautiful, scenic, exotic. Did it constantly sound like this? No. In fact, you know, it's very <laughs> funny. Um, I was visiting my daughter, uh, who had spent the semester in Delhi, at Delhi University and also another school. She was enrolled in two different programs. And uh, she... Enough with the music. Yeah, I know. All right, really enough, monotonous. Enough. <laughs> she uh, went on vacation. The semester ends relatively early compared to U.S. schools. It ends in... Uh, November. So she's traveling around the country, and we arranged to meet in what at the time I thought was the only place in India that allows for legalized poker, a a state called Goa. Goa is a former Portuguese colony on the western coast, about uh, an eight-hour drive south of Mumbai, formerly called Bombay, but Mumbai is the current Mm -hmm. name. And we met in Goa, and uh, I spent five days there. And uh, it's an amazing place. Anybody who's never been to India including myself, I I could not imagine what it was really like. It's not a place that I frankly would recommend as a tourist destination for the typical American tourist. It's uh, So if your daughter wasn't there, there's no way you'd be going to go. Well, no, 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 <laughs> because not having gone okay, yeah, and not knowing what it was like and knowing that they had poker, I may very well have gone. But now that I've been, even though it was for a short period, even though it was in a very uh, unusual part of the country, it's not typical of India. In fact, this is the wealthiest state, and it's not nearly uh, as crowded or bustling or poor as Delhi or Mumbai or Calcutta, uh, which I learned is pronounced Calcutta, not Calcutta, which is the way I always thought it was pronounced. (laughs) Um, But it's nothing like those places. Even so, having been there, I have really no desire to go back to India, although, man, is it an interesting place. Uh, Before I talk about the poker, I'll just tell you. Yeah, set the scene first going up there. Um, I arrived at four in the morning. Okay. And from that moment on, it was surreal. My daughter was there looking beautiful and attentive and alert, even though it was four in the morning. Lose uh, a little weight there or, or no? It's, uh, was she eating well there? Or? She actually gained weight because oh, okay. she said that the diet, which I found out is true, the diet of food there is quite filled with oil mm-hmm. and um, carbohydrates. She's not a meat eater, okay. and uh, she kept a vegetarian diet, but there's a lot of stuff that's breaded. Um, a lot of sauces that are filled with oil, a lot of deep fried stuff and otherwise fried stuff. So she actually said she gained weight. She looked terrific. Uh, wow, my, this is my 21 year old. And uh, but what was surreal? First of all, you arrive at the airport. It's very crowded, even at four in the morning. And it's, she negotiated for a cab. Everything is negotiated. <laughs> you you bargain over everything. I bargained for my haircut price. Uh, she actually did the bargaining, got it down to... Well, you're a union guy. You I know. Been, you, you were in heaven. I know. Well, Poker and bargaining for everything. There you go. There you go. There you go. I was in negotiating <laughs> heaven. heaven. Uh, <clears throat> she did the bargaining, though, because she was used to it. And she bargained for the uh, cab fare to uh, the beach where we were staying, Baga Beach, which is about an hour north of the airport. And then we got into a cab. And from there on, until we arrived, it was like something out of uh, some surrealist movie. And here's what I mean. First of all... The landscape there is completely different from what we're used to here in really any part of the United States, but especially the Northeast. It is full, lush jungle, uh, tropics. So the roads are lined with palm trees and thick vines and uh, leaves of every kind, big plants and overgrown. And you can imagine, you know, uh, pythons snaking through. (laughs) You can imagine. You don't see that. But that's the kind of... Uh, landscape you see, and interspersed in this lush, verdant greenery are many, 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 many storefronts, which in this part of the country, at least, are shacks. They are often thatched shacks, and they look like they're falling apart. It's not that they're in disrepair. It's just that their construction is relatively uh, shabby by Western standards, and there are many of them with signs in the traditional Hindi language 
which looks to the Western eye like scribbling, not to be disrespectful, but it's very different from Arabic script or Roman script. It's this, even it's, it's less recognizable than Hebrew or Arabic even, then followed by English. And often, given the fact that this is a tourist area for Russians, um, Russian. That blew me away. I, I never knew yeah. there was Russian stuff. Yeah, right, a lot. And so you're whizzing by, and I'm trying to take in all this scenery, which is blowing my mind at how different it is from what uh, the West is, and I'm trying to absorb it because it's my first time in India. So there's that. At the same time, my daughter, who spent almost half a year in India, is telling me these incredible stories of her adventures. And I went here, Daddy, and we did this, and I climbed over here, and then I flew into this town, and this is what's going on there, and then I went to Jaipur, and then I went to Mumbai, and she's filling my ears with this incredibly intoxicating, rich storytelling of what she's done. And it's my daughter, so I'm intent on hearing her. So I've got an eye and two ears on her. I've got an eye on this scenery. And then, because they don't drive the way we drive here, they have a road that's maybe three car lengths of pavement wide. And there are three cars and two motorcycles and two pedestrians across. <laughs> and every time the, the driver comes out to pass, which is constantly he's passing the cars in front of him, I'm looking at headlights coming the other way. And they, in a, in a last second, avert hitting each other head on. And you think, oh, my God. And then it happens again. And then you go off the road onto the <laughs> shoulder. There's no sidewalk there. They're just on the dirt. And then the other cars are going onto the dirt. It's the guy's honking his horn, and the oncoming traffic is honking. And I have both of my eyes. It's like I have to have four eyes uh, are on the road thinking I'm going to die in a head-on collision. <laughs> and then added to that, added to the incredible scenery, the incredible stories my daughter is telling, the death-defying uh, Joey Chitwood driving stunts <laughs> that are going on in front of me, are five to seven foot high Brahmin bulls walking into the road all over the place. Well, they're sacred there, aren't they? Right. Yeah, so you, can't, you can't touch them. You can't touch them. And they're, I mean, this is not like a little backcountry uh, street. This is a major thoroughfare, albeit too narrow for the five vehicles that are across. But people are going 50, 60 miles an hour. And then they're screeching to a halt or swerving wildly to avoid large bulls and other cattle with major league horns uh, in the middle of the road. And this is for an hour. Wow. So I arrived uh, just uh, after this. I mean, I suppose for people that have done drugs, it's like doing acid or eating mushrooms. It was like a hallucinatory, weird experience that I survived. And, and was this normal for your daughter? She said, oh, it's like this all the time? Or? Oh, she said, this is nothing. You should see how they drive in Delhi. That's what she said. Wow. Really? And, oh. you know, and she, frankly, is totally nonplussed because she's telling her stories, and I'm feeling a little guilty that I'm not able to give her my full attention. But meanwhile, I'm just, you know, completely distracted. So, See, people are listening to us on the Jersey Turnpike and bitching about the traffic. <laughs> right, right. right. See? They got nothing. No problems. So we had a very nice three-and-a-half-day, four-day vacation on the beach. Uh, India is quite a dirty country by Western standards, uh, but the beach is still very nice, albeit there are lots of uh, dogs. Uh, these are feral dogs. I'd say wild, but that implies they're aggressive. They're totally passive, timid, intimidated dogs playing with each other, not even a little bit aggressive with humans, afraid of humans, running away from us. Um, and on the beach, bulls and cows. <laughs> and, in fact, uh, there was one weird scene I'm going to describe on the radio. Maybe you'll have to edit it out. Um, I was walking down the beach with my daughter, and there's one of these somewhat emaciated, timid dogs, oh, the size of a small collie, like a medium-sized collie. And with its front paws on the back of the dog is a very large black-furred ram, full horns, curved horns on the side of its head, humping this poor dog. I, I mean, I didn't even know that was possible, let alone... It's like you were the fifth ring of hell. It was, I mean, it's like Dante's Inferno it was, kind of It stuff. was weird. It was like, wow. I forget, who, who's that painter from the Jeez. 1400s that does the, those weird scenes uh, from hell? And, oh. Uh, what's the guy's name? Uh, Del Greco? No, Greco's the other guy. Uh, anyway, <laughs> that guy. It was like out of one of those paintings. These weird, surrealist scenes. Uh, we had nice hikes, nice walks. We had mediocre food. For me, mediocre or worse. Uh, I didn't get sick until the day that I had scheduled to play poker. That was my last day there. <laughs> well, I got a bunch more questions for you. Well, we'll have to do time. it on the next time. It's a cliffhanger. Uh, right. Uh... That'll end it for the show and for the mailbag segment. Listeners, always nice being on and talking about poker. Good luck to you, and good night or good day.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.